Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. We're in my life. (laughs) (laughs) It is a pleasure, sir. I'm going to get this out of the way before Zach starts recording. (laughs) <laughs> no, let Zach record it. <laughs> yeah, you're late. I already started, so feel free oh, okay. to compliment Dr. Baker if you want. <laughs> uh, make, make, make my head swell even bigger. <laughs> you're, you're the reason why all this is happening, obviously, but, and I'll share it in my story, but you are directly responsible. I must have watched your episode on Rogan, the, the dietary part, 50 or 60 times. Wow. <laughs> my head around this is too good to be true it, it, it can't be real well you're living proof of that well, well we'll get into that but that's awesome so what was you know zach we talked about coelacanths yesterday on my fun fact of the day i don't have any yes i don't have any fun facts you know i am excited i just got i just got off an email with uh, the folks from the ncba they're they're, they're lead researchers dietary researchers and we're going to talk about getting some carnivore studies like in the literature so that's really cool i'm really excited about that on on that note i'm fresh off about two pounds of roast with some uh beef tallow on top of it so i'm I'm ready to roll today yeah yeah, i just got (laughs) got done crushing a couple ribeyes i was in there that's the thing i'm running i'm 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 cutting everything close man i eat (laughs) all this stuff so I ate my lunch a half an hour earlier because it's lunchtime here. Than oh, yeah. yeah. Where, where, where are you at, man? Where are you, where are you located? And I pounded away uh, 12 ounces of 90-10 ground beef and 10 slices of very thick, fatty, yummy bacon. Nice. There you go. Where are you located, Brett? I'm in North Florida in the Jackson, Northeast Florida in the Jacksonville area. In Jacksonville. Okay, I've been to Jacksonville. I went to a, con- a tumor concert conference there years ago. Uh, as an orthopedic thing, so it's the only time I've been to Jacksonville. Nice, it's nice. It's, it's a really, it's a really nice town for its yeah. size, except in the summertime, and then I don't care for it much at all. Well, Jackson, if I'm not mistaken, isn't Jacksonville the biggest city in Florida? Uh it's the biggest landmass. Okay, it's like uh, 800 and some square miles. There's over a million one or million two people that live in the county. Wow. Well. Well, this is, you know, this is, you know, like Zach and I will often say, we get, you know, we get all the researchers on and they tell us about the science and, you know, the theory. And it's it's fun stuff to talk. You know, we had some great, you know, we had Professor Don Lehman on yesterday. It was just just a blast listening to this stuff. But it's really exciting. And a lot of people enjoy listening when we actually see the theory, you know, come to fruition in real life. And and that's why it's so important to get, you know, there's people out there that that are experiencing these sort of things. And so... Uh, you know, we, we, we want to thank you for coming on and telling, and, and you know, I'm going to, you're going to share your story, I assume, and, and, and thank you for doing that because it helps a lot of people. As I've said all along, these stories are moving, you know, they're, they're moving the, the needle and, and, you know, guys like you and all the other thousands of other people out there that are, that are up there sharing the stories are really, we really are 
making a difference and I can see it coming to fruition. And I think it's going to continue to grow and get bigger, but tell us a little bit about your, your background, Brett, just where you're from, what do you do? And then we can get into, you know, kind of into your story a little bit. Okay. I'm 58 years old. I was born in Huntington, West Virginia. I spent first three years of my life there primarily uh, and have lived all over the Southeastern United States. Um, Moved about, my, my first spouse was a uh, Walmart Supercenter manager, so we traveled a lot, uh, moving in with that job. And I perform, was a performing musician for most of my adult life, playing in bars and clubs all over the Southeast. And then a few years ago, when I got too sick to continue doing that, I began writing and recording and producing albums on the internet, which I still do now. In addition to now I'm gainfully employed, which wasn't occurring prior to carnivory uh, in the real world. I don't count music as the real world, but uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons, if you've been anywhere near it. Uh, I grew up in a regular home, lower, in, lower middle class, working class family. My mom and dad had an enormous vegetable garden. We had fresh vegetables year round, but we also had plenty of meat. But out of that one household, it was my dad, my mother, and my younger sister and me. My dad's had prostate cancer and suffers from type 2 diabetes. My mom's had a cancer scare and has had blood pressure issues all of her life. My sister suffers from ulcerative colitis, and I suffered from major depression, anxiety, and insomnia for the better part of 40-plus years, all from following the standard American diet as well as you could draw it up. We had fresh vegetables every meal we wanted, and they were, it was not an option. You didn't have a choice at our house about, no, I don't really want those tomatoes. Now, if it was served, you ate it. But I was an athlete. I assume that's probably why I didn't get sicker sooner, faster, um, because I was able to burn off a lot of the toxins. But uh, looking back with hindsight, I can say with great certainty, I started experiencing depression symptoms when I was around 15 years of age. And of course, I was blissfully unaware at that time. <laughs> but uh, then I proceeded to go in a slow spiral that uh, we can talk about to whatever degree you'd like to get into, sir. Brett, I mean, you know, because I've seen you've, I've seen some of your transformation photos and I, I know, we're, you know, it's such an important topic to talk about you know, mental health and mental health disorders and depression. And I think it's important, but I mean, just physically, you've had a humongous transformation. I mean, I saw you, I mean, you lost this, a lot, a lot of weight. I mean, you're looking, I'm looking at you. You you'd never believe you at one time, you know, we're, we're overweight. I mean, looking at you, you're, you're very lean looking right now and you just got a big smile on your face. And so that's, that's good. But let, let's talk about, um, you know, what, what, how, 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 where, where did you go? Where were you at your worst point and, and what, what was going on physically and, and, and mentally and that sort of stuff? And walk us through, um, you know, walk, walk us through what depression's like. Okay. For me, my understanding of talking with many people in, in my own studies is depression is very different for everybody. For me, I was not, I, I, there was a sadness component, but basically my depression was severe, crazy dissatisfaction with everything around me that I saw. Nothing was ever good enough, nice enough. I wasn't good enough, nice enough, whatever. Um, and it just grew into this horrible monster. I used to describe it to people 
as living with a 50 pound anvil on my head all the time because it was there when I woke up. It was there all day long. I couldn't get rid of it no matter what. Medicine didn't really provide much relief whatsoever. Um, and no matter how strong, how tough you are, I mean, I was a big guy. Uh, you talk about my transformation. You know, I'm 30. When I was 30 years old, I was 6'2 and weighed 230 and didn't have maybe, but I was maybe 12% body fat. I was a stout guy. And, um, Thought I was taking decent care of myself, but in retrospect, my diet was terrible, and I paid the price for it unknowingly. Uh, depression, I think the, the worst part of depression, and this is something I really try to focus on when I share my story, is the inability to communicate with people you care about or with anyone. Because I, you know, I kind of developed this theory as, as my wellness has continued um, looking back because I figured out depression and mental illness in general alters everything we see, hear, touch, and feel to some degree. And so for some people, even for me, it could be a little nudge. It could be something as simple as my wife saying, wow, it's a really beautiful day out there. But the illness would nudge that, transpose it to where what I heard was, yeah, it's a beautiful day today. Completely, 180 degrees, not in my favor. Somebody start to say something? Hey, Brett, like with, uh, in regards to your depression, uh, I'm just curious with your experience, did you notice like now that you know what you know, were there any kind of canary in the coal mine type uh, things that were popping up before you found yourself kind of in what maybe we consider like full-blown depression? Not that I could detect at the time. I mean, knowing what I know now, obviously, when this, I believe that sleep disruptions are probably the first sign that something's wrong uh, because I started having trouble sleeping before I started having trouble with anything else. Uh, then that after that, I, looking back, I can see where my behavior was started becoming more erratic uh, because you can't communicate. What you see in here, what you think you see in here is not necessarily what you see in here. And I, I gave one example of that. A more recent, more striking example of that is a couple of years ago, Hurricane Matthew got within, we live eight miles offshore uh, or onshore. <laughs> and the uh, storm got within 50 miles of the shore and we had some wind damage. A fence had a branch through it from a tree and it raised the fence up. And guys, as, as God is my witness, I surveyed that damage for months. And to me, it looked like the fence was 10 to 12 feet off the ground. Now, I'm not talking about just a glance out the back door. I'm walking around this. I'm looking at it. I've got my wife there. And I'm talking about my concerns because it's so high off the ground. I'm worried about the tree. We cut the limb. What's the tree going to do? Is it going to damage our neighbor's property? Etc. Etc. And my wife would just look at me rather oddly, but not comment further. Guys, February of last year, I went out in my yard and looked at that damn fence, and it's a foot and a half off the ground. That's how high it was moved. But the illness, even 
years into my wellness journey before carnivory when I was low carb, high fat, which I can get into in a little bit, I was still not perceiving things correctly. Uh, depression's horrible. Now imagine that when you're trying to converse with a loved one, you know, I know I knew even the sickest I was, I knew my wife loved me and, and she was one of the reasons why I survived it, that in my faith. But when this person, you know, loves you is speaking to you and you can't process what she's saying, you're trying, I, I would try to explain to her why I was upset about whatever the issue of the moment was. And she gave it her best shot. She couldn't understand what I was saying because it wasn't making any sense. So it was a two-pronged disaster because she was suffering as well because she wanted to help me. <laughs> she couldn't communicate with me. Hey, and Brett, let me just, um, mm -hmm. just you know, because you, you, you mentioned medication. So I, I assume at some point you'd seen a physician or a healthcare provider Mm -hmm. uh, got a diagnosis and, and tell us a little bit about that because you know some people I mean we hear a lot of people say well you're making up your disease you don't really have it it's all placebo what 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 what, what was how are you treated medically what was your diagnosis so on and so forth I used to get that all the time you're too lazy you're not trying those kinds of things no I was diagnosed originally in 1990 uh, by a physician at uh, River Park Psychiatric Hospital in Huntington West Virginia that diagnosis was later confirmed uh, by a physician in Taylor, South Carolina in 1997. My diagnosis went from major depression to major depression with psychotic features. Uh, then after about 16 years of that, when the meds they were giving me, which I'll go into, didn't work, and I just got worse and worse and worse, they changed the diagnosis to bipolar two. they changed uh, meds, appropriate for that, and I just got worse and worse all along. Uh, originally, I was started on Prozac, and the first two or three or four years, I had some periods of wellness with Prozac, but what started happening was the periods of wellness started getting shorter, and the periods of illness got larger and more serious. Um, then starting Let's see, 2006, 2007, I really started to spiral a lot more. Um, I suddenly performing live was becoming an issue because these bands I would work with, we sounded great, but they were, they were calling me and telling me not to show up anymore because I was too hard to get along with. And in my state of mind at the time, I, I had no clue. Everything sounded great to me. I didn't see a problem. So the meds weren't working and it was getting worse. Uh, in 2008 to 2009 was one of the worst years of my life due to familial event that I won't go into. I suffered your old fashioned classic nervous breakdown. I had two months where I didn't sleep more than an hour or two a night. That led to really bad things. That's when you start thinking you hear kids playing in the backyard when there's nobody home but you. Um, doctor, my doctor, he was a good guy. He tried everything he knew medically to do for me. He changed my medication regularly. He up my or changed the diagnosis to with psychotic features. I got put on Ativan. Uh, he originally put me on Remeron to help me get to sleep. Well, that worked for three weeks. 
And then I had another six, six week period where I only slept an hour or two a night and things got even worse. So, uh, I believe he added Wellbutrin at that point and then put me on Trazodone. Trazodone is what finally got me to where I could sleep again. And I was on Trazodone for eight and a half years solid, uh, every night to go to sleep. I was on Ativan as prescribed. He started at half a milligram twice a day for anxiety. And at the end of the eight-year cycle, it was to one milligram three times a day as needed. I never, I never abused that. I was terrified of that stuff because I, I know from my own past work experience in the psychiatric field, no less, that it's incredibly addictive. Um, I, there's a long list. I was on Seroquel, uh, Zoloft, uh, let's see, Abilify, Pristique, Effexor, Celexa, Lexapro. I mean, they tried combination after combination, Latuda at the very end. Uh, and the same thing would happen. I'd get better for a little while and start thinking, oh, this is life again, kind of. But then I, it wouldn't take a significant event. It just, I would just suddenly fall apart out of nowhere. Hey, Fred, uh, let me ask yes. you, um, you know, I, I've had, you know, in recent years, I've had some pretty significant negative things happen in my life. I went through a divorce. You know, I went through this thing with a hospital where I ended up, you know, losing my job. That was a depressing event for me. And I, and I certainly felt bad. And I felt like I just had this fog around me, this mask that, I, that, that was on me and I didn't feel right. But I, at the same time, I knew it would go away. I knew this was a temper. This is a thing of, of just temporality that it would, it, it would time, it would, it would, it would, it would improve. I, I had it in the back of my mind. When you were deep into this, was there ever a point where you thought there's no escape from this? I'm trapped. Um, there's, you know, did you ever feel like there's this, it's not going to go away. This is how I am. I'm just stuck like this. Was that ever your thought? Cause I thought I, I, I always knew it's probably going to get better for me, but what, what were your thoughts like? And then the other thing, and this is a, a question that I think is important is, was there ever a point where you thought about suicide? Did you ever, did you ever have that? Cross, thought cross your mind at any time? Okay. Uh, I'll try to get him in the order you asked him. The, uh, well, let me answer the suicide first, and I may re-ask that first question again. Um, there were times I never wanted to end my life. I never wanted to end my life. But the disease, the illness, I found it was so insidious and it's relentless. I mean, it is relentless. You're constantly, the bad thoughts, negativity, it just really never left me. But I would think about it. And it would be like, no, I, that's no good. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a thankful Catholic convert. You know, I, I've got very sincere beliefs about suicide and the next life. I don't want to play with that. But the disease kept turning it up. And over time, it would be, Okay, no, I don't want to ever do that. But if I did, what, how would I do it? And those kinds of scenarios would start forming in my head. But, and I would constantly reject it, but it got a little more involved and it got to be quite frightening. And I also knew that the minute I verbalized any of this, that I, control of my life was probably going to be taken away. Uh, to fast forward to the absolute worst of things, January 2015, I weigh 289 pounds. My psychiatrist is telling me to seriously consider electroshock therapy, 
and or a long-term hospitalization. I didn't have health insurance, so that nixed really the reality of both of them. Plus, I've seen people who've undergone electroshock therapy soon after the procedure. I didn't want any part of that. That was never going to happen. But things were really bad. I was very afraid I was going to lose control of my decision. I wasn't going to be able to make decisions before long. I, they have a thing here in Florida where it's called the Baker Act. And if you, uh, if you vocalize the least little thing that might give somebody a hint that you're suicidal or even remotely so, you're, you're, you're going to be spending 72 hours in the state facility under observation. And I was afraid that if that ever happened to me, I'd never come out. Enter a dear friend. All during this time, I'm still struggling with music, writing, recording, and things like that. And I have a music project and I have a called the Dark Hearts Blues. And I have a lady who sings lead vocals for me. And she bears special mention because without her, none of this takes place either. She suggested to me one day, have you ever considered medical cannabis before? Now, as a musician, it was always around me. But I had a bad experience with it when I was young. So it was not my thing. I was the guy passing left, passing right. Beer was legal. It wasn't my thing at all. But I did some research, and I found a lot of anecdotal evidence of people saying they felt better, their symptoms were improved. After some discussion with my wife, as bad as things were, we were like, what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? So we secured four, flat, four grams of flour, and my wife created some can of butter, and she made these little cookies about the size of a quarter. They weren't zero-carb cookies, but they were ketogenic cookies, I believe. <laughs> anyway, I was so scared of these things, I would only eat a half of one. And I ate half of that first cookie, and guys, as God is my witness, 10 minutes after I ate that cookie, it felt like a thousand suns had lifted off my body. I wasn't high. I just didn't feel like crap anymore. I felt, dare I say it, almost normal. Then about 40 minutes later, a light high kicked in. And I'm like, this is not miserable anymore. I couldn't believe it. And it treated all of my symptoms successfully. It did not eliminate the illnesses. It just treated the symptoms. If I went more than four days without it, I would begin to deteriorate rapidly. I learned this from having to travel out of state and being unable to take it with me. Um, it's a poignant lesson. But I began using the, those cookies as a regular regimen, and about 10 days into that, I'm tying my shoes one day, and suddenly my belly's in my way, and I'm getting a little short of breath, and I'm like, what the hell? I wasn't, I knew I was big. Guys, I was not even remotely aware that I weighed 289 pounds until I went and stood on the scale. I, I had no idea. I had a 42-inch waist. Today, it's what it was when I graduated from high school. It's 32. <laughs> anyway, so I immediately went to my wife. I started, I said, I got to go on Atkins, which if you want to get into later, I, I actually had been on once before. And it's a real interesting, ironic sub-story to this. But 
So I started on the Atkins diet. I knew I had to start increasing my physical activity. I began walking short distances, walking the dog. And in three and a half years of low carb, high fat with cannabis, I lost 94 pounds and I got a lot better, but I was still dependent on the cannabis. I didn't like that. It's, it's, it's legal here in Florida if you're a medical patient. I am a medical patient, but it's very expensive. It is not very affordable. And then I saw the same lady that told me about uh, cannabis said one day, you got to go watch every video by this guy named Dr. Jordan Peterson. And you guys are familiar with him. <laughs> <laughs> You know what he's about. And uh, I, to say the least, I became a huge fan, especially of his notion of putting good out into the world. I, I'm a huge believer in that. And that's one of the reasons why I do these. But I saw later in my quest for more fresh videos of his I hadn't seen, I came across a 30-minute cutout when he was on Rogan talking about how his daughter, Michaela, healed herself, figured it out the hard way, healed her arthritis and her depression eating meat, drinking water. And then he described how he followed suit. I didn't even know the man suffered from depression. My jaw's on the floor. I'm like, this, if it's anybody else but this man who has such incredible integrity, in my opinion, I'm flipping, I'm moving on. I'm thinking this is just some wacko thing. And, but it's Jordan Peterson. I can't, I can't, I can't ignore this. So I began searching for more videos about the carnivore diet. And my very next video was your episode, Dr. Baker. And by this point, I've got my wife watching with me. I'm like, are these people making sense? Because I still didn't trust what I saw and heard. And that's one of the reasons why I watched some of this over and over. And then I started looking for flaws in logic because I was so terrified. To me, the worst thing would be to try it and fail. That would have been the worst. That would have been worse than not trying at all, in my opinion. But July 16th, 2018, I began living carnivorously. On the 23rd and 24th day of my experience, guys, I felt my depression symptoms leave the building. I had joy in my heart. And I get emotional every time I talk about it because it's so beautiful. When you've suffered so horribly for decades, you've tried to be as good as you can be, and something kept making you make terrible choices and decisions, and you're helpless to understand why, and you wake up and you're free. You're free of it all. What a great gift. Thank you. You're responsible for that indirectly. And that's why I do this, because... Everybody, there's millions of other people out there who are suffering, just like I was, who had no hope whatsoever. They followed their doctor's orders. You talk about when did I think it might never, it was, I was stuck. I was 41 years old, and I asked my doctor, I said, you know, I've been taking this Prozac for a long time. Am I really crazy about the idea of being dependent on a medicine all my life? You ever see a day when I'm not going to have to take this? He said, Probably not. You're going to have to take it for the rest of your life. Well, as I sit here before you guys, I'm 58 years old and I'm on zero pharmaceuticals. 
At the end of 2015, I was off the antidepressants. At the end of 2016, I was off the Ativan. That was troublesome. At the end of 2017, I was off the Trazodone. I sleep at least six hours a night now without any problem at all. I feel I have more energy than I know what to do with. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, it's crazy. I, and on a night that I don't sleep well, which still happens once in a while, I can still go work eight hours, come home, take a little 20-minute respite sitting in a chair, and be ready for another full night of activities and not be exhausted. I'm, no caffeine. It's just meat and water. There's no trick or special way of doing it. I'm just eating meat and drinking water, and, and thanks be to God, it works. Hey, Brett, I think, um, I think it's really interesting to hear your story for a variety of reasons. I know a topic we talk about from time to time on this podcast is just how a lot of people are kind of walking around in a what we would consider a suboptimal state. And it's not so bad that they can't cope with it or normalize it. But when we have folks like you come on, uh, you know, their experience switching to something that works for them is like, wow, I made some progress. Now I know what it feels like to be optimal. So that's like a big step in the right direction for you being at rock bottom. It's like multiple big steps in the right direction. And I mean, the, your excitement is palpable. So it's like quite clear, like how big of an impact that was for you. Um, and it, along those lines, one thing I like to bring up when we have someone on the show who has done a carnivore diet to the length that you have is just kind of talking a bit about some of those early stages that you said, like on the 23rd and 24th day, there was some big breakthroughs. Um, but I, one reason I like to talk about this is because I think there is a variety of different kind of transitions coming into that sort of thing. And, uh, the last thing I want is everyone to think like, it's going to be this, this magic bullet right out the gate and day two, you're going to feel like a million bucks in cash. And then if you don't, and it takes a few weeks to kind of adapt to it, you give up before you finally get to that good spot. So tell us a little bit about that kind of like day one to day 30, more or less, what kind of transition was in there uh, with your, with your, your switch to the carnivore approach. Happy to do so, Zach. I was lucky in that I'd already been low carb for three and a half years. I was very low carb. In 2016, 2016, I was low carb, but that was also the year of the great white chocolate binge. <laughs> white chocolate <laughs> became available in my area at a very affordable rate, and I used to be a slave to that stuff. And I go to get a blood test. Now, I've dropped like 40 pounds, but I'm pounding away this white chocolate. And I have a blood test because also from 2015 to 2016, I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And then he put me on meds for that because uh, the levels were out of whack and my blood sugar, I was almost pre-diabetic. And this was another target moment because when he said, you're, 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 you're almost pre-diabetic, and I immediately thought of my dad, and I'm like, I don't want to be giving myself shots for the last 20 years of my life like he's been doing. I don't want any part of that. So that meant... <laughs> In my mind, things started switching, and I said, well, give me six, because he wanted to put me on a statin, too, right then, right then. My blood pressure was 135 over 80-something. It was an anxiety blood pressure, and you know what I'm talking about, Doc. You've seen them. Anyway, uh, I'm like, an alarm went off in my head and said, no, you're not taking that. Don't do that. And I told him, I said, give me six months to treat 
attack this with exercise and diet. And he looked at me straight in the eye and said, 90% of the people with your numbers cannot do this with change them with exercise and diet. And I thought, well, you've just said that to the wrong guy. <laughs> that was all the motivation I need. I was going to show him otherwise or die trying. So I eliminated all sugar from my diet that day. No more candy, no more nothing. I haven't had any sugar since then, except for one little mint, which I'll get to later maybe. Uh, so I was very, very low carb when I got to, the, to, to July 16, 2018. So I was very fortunate. My transition, my adaptation was pretty issue free. I had a little bit of uh, stomach grumbling, gassy discomfort about the second week. I did have loose stool for five months, but I didn't consider that a problem because I wasn't depressed anymore. <laughs> Give me the choice between the two. I'll take loose stool for the rest of my life. On day 10, I woke up, I had no joint pain. Now, I never thought of myself as arthritic. I had aches and pains, you know, broken bones through the course of living 57 years. You bump into things, you fall down, things hurt. I woke up, I didn't have any anymore. I, you know, stuff that used to hurt in my hands is gone. My knees, my ankles is all just gone. Uh, the only thing I still have is my L5 pushes out a little bit. And I, if I stand in one place for too long, I'll have some lower back pain. But prior to this, I, if it wasn't for cannabis, I could never have walked all those miles that I did when I walked all the fat off because it would just hurt my back too much. Oh, the pain's gone. <laughs> I felt like a little kid skipping along. Um, my skin dried up. I used to have, or not dried up, but cleared up. I used to have really horrible dry skin. I used to have really flaky skin, not just horrible patchy flakes of stuff. I had an enormous amount of skin tags. That all went away in the first two weeks. Now, I will admit that Michaela Peterson reported her depression symptoms went away around the two-week mark. So when I hit day 15 and I still had them, I wasn't happy. But I felt confident things were getting better. That's kind of how those first few days went. Then since then, there's been a number of things that have occurred. My, my wife tells me, she said, you don't have the same amount of wrinkles in your face you did three months ago. I have coworkers telling me, you look younger than you did six months ago. What are you doing? Um, little TMI, but people have them. I used to suffer from hemorrhoids. They're gone. Who knew that would happen? I never heard of anybody saying that would happen. Um, let's see, skin tags, the joint pain. I, I mean, and the brain fog, clarity of thought continues to improve regularly. I mean, this kind of conversation, two months into it, I, I wouldn't have felt comfortable with it all because I was still having too hard a time trying to put my words together because I believe in the damage from all the meds that I took for so long. Yes, sir. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing. And due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.
Yeah, Brett, um, first of all, you know, it's such a powerful story, you know, particularly when you're talking about overcoming a depression. I mean, I think anybody listening to this is going to be particularly moved by your story. And I, and I certainly am, and I appreciate uh, you sharing it. Um, it's going to benefit a lot of people. Um, when you say, I mean, you said you're a low carb, um, you'd cut out all the sugar, but you were still having, you know, a sense of depression. You still had things that you were dealing with, even though the, the cannabis was, was, you know, helping that to, to, to a large degree. What was still in your diet that you gave up? Because a lot of people will say, you know, carnivore diet, you just cut out all the junk food and you're fine. But I assume you'd already mostly done that. And so what was still in the diet that you removed that, you know, maybe made the change? Because a lot of people don't believe us when we say that some people, you know, aren't, aren't just eating junk food and, and that's a solution. There's, there's other things that may potentially be problematic. Well, looking back, I can't say to a certainty. All I can do is speculate, but I believe it was the grains. I believe it was the bread. Uh, I was a prodigious bread eater. Uh, I was a basic meat and potatoes kind of guy. I ate a lot of potatoes, a lot of starch over the years. Um, and at the time, I, I made the transition when probably in 2016 also, I eliminated margarine completely. Uh, so was, let me, so Brett, let me interrupt just to fast forward. So okay, like, sorry. you know, you started a carnivorous diet last July, I think you said. Mm -hmm. So what were you eating in June, the month before? In June, I would eat a little bread. It was mostly meat, but I was eating uh, a little bit of bread, butter. Uh, I would have some leafy green uh, lettuce type kind of things. Um, I was eating... In the beginning of the year, I was eating, still eating fruit, a lot of fruit. By June, I had eliminated the fruit because of what I was learning from my study of carnivory. And so I had eliminated fruit probably by June. Uh, but I didn't notice, I didn't notice any real serious improvement until after, I mean, till, till I eliminated everything completely. I mean, I still had... I could still, if I went too long into the day without cannabis, with what happens to me without cannabis, even now, I can go four or five hours into the day without any cannabis, and as long as I'm by myself, it's okay. But what happens is all the old depression behaviors and inappropriate ways of acting, grumpiness, obnoxiousness, uh, I become this smiling, uh, obnoxious, hypercritical human being you don't really want to be around <laughs> but the cannabis alleviates that i can't explain it i would love to be studied so somebody could tell me why i don't know um anyway so in june that's kind of what's going on i i i'm just eating meat it's at that time it's mostly steak and some fish at dinner and bacon that was one thing when i started carnivory i read a lot of where people would stall, you know, I get tired of just eating the same thing every day. And I'm like, well, you keep, why eat the same thing every day? You don't have to. So I always make sure I have two meats with every meal. And it's never been boring. And of course, the fact that one of those meats is always bacon makes it less boring. Um, <laughs> it works for me. Hey, Brett, would you say, um, just, to, just to clarify, like that month before you switched to strict carnivore in July, would you say you were, because I know you mentioned a little bit of bread and some fruit, 
would you say you were still in the parameters of what you consider like a classic ketogenic style diet of like 30 to 50 grams a day? Or were you more kind of just high fat, low carb where you were relatively low on the carbohydrates, but maybe not as strict as a classical ketogenic setup? Well, see, I never measured all that. I, I, I eliminated items. I didn't measure by day. I was not, that was one of the reasons why I never went on a true keto diet because I looked into it and it just, what, what I saw just looked to be too much to keep track of. So I just eliminated foods. I didn't measure things. And especially after I discovered uh, the carnivore way of eating, I, I am was preparing myself because it was one of the things that I noticed and I joined the zeroing in on health group and we're a carnivore tribe. And one of the stumbling blocks it seemed to me for people was the, uh, trying to hold on to old foods from the past. So I went about expediting my elimination, eliminating of those. I'm not wording that very well. I stopped eating the stuff. Um, and it just works. I didn't have a hard adaptation. I have talked, counseled some folks. I have a friend of mine who's got type two diabetes. He's just passed his 30 days about four or five days ago. And I encouraged him to do a month low carb first because the adaptation is so much harder on people if they don't, but he wanted to do it the hard way and he's had a rough time, but he's hanging in there and his blood sugar numbers are improved immensely and his doctor's already lowered his medicine. So he saw enough improvement to stay the course despite not having maybe as ideal of a transition as some folks have had. Exactly, exactly. Plus, he, he, he's looking at the long game. A lot of people, in my experience, they get, I want to feel better now, I want to feel better now, and they can't project that they might feel better in the future, and it becomes a real stumbling block for them. Fortunately, I, I had, I mean, Talk about integrity, Dr. Baker here, you know, Air Force combat surgeon, that there right there in of itself, I had to take you seriously. If you said eat three gra pieces of gravel a day, you'll get better. <laughs> you know, that's going to get my attention just for that fact. Um, so, you know, you don't have these people with great integrity make talking about these things if it's not likely to happen, in my experience. Hey, Brett, so... Um, so, I mean, I assume, you know, because you've had doctors, you know, general practitioners, you know, have been all kinds of medications. Have you been back to them since you've made this transition and, and, and told them what happened? And has there been any commentary on, on what's going on with you from the medical community? I have spoken with one really good nurse practitioner that I had for about three years when we first moved to Florida. She's a really nice lady, but she was forced to move out of state. And I kind of lost track with her, but I ran across her email address about six weeks into carnivory. And I, I, I had to email her and let her know what I was doing and, and how I was doing so well. And I was happy to see that she was aware of the carnivore diet, but she was now moving away from prescribing medicine herself and focused on ketogenic diet for people with mental illness in general. So I was very encouraged by that. I haven't been able to get in touch with my doctor from South Carolina because it just hasn't worked timing and whatnot. He was a really good man. This guy gave me his personal cell number and would ask me to check and let him know how I was doing some weekends because he was so worried about me. He did everything he knew. He was just ignorant. I don't think he was one of these who was being misled and silently taking the money like, 
some have suggested other physicians might do. Uh, I haven't been to the guy down the street because it's a hundred bucks and maybe I want to go back and tell him what I did when I have the hundred bucks. I'll do that with great glee. <laughs> you told me it couldn't be done. Well, let me explain to you what happened. I, I don't, I don't anticipate that happen, but it's something to consider. Um, I am, I am very encouraged though by, by the lady, uh, I can't remember her name. I remember first name's David. I can't remember her last name off the top of my head. She's a nurse practitioner, really nice lady. She really cared a lot about her patients. And I'm really heartened that in North Carolina, there's a nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner advocating low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic way of treatment, which hopefully will become the norm. And while I'm forgetting it, shout out to Ken, Dr. Ken Berry. Peace be with him and his family while they're recovering from that awful fire. I just wanted to get that in before I forgot it. Yeah, th thank you for doing that. I, I don't know if Ken will listen to this, but I've, I've, I've contacted him to tell him my, my wishes for him as well. Um, and I agree. I do hope that the standard of care becomes diet, whether it's low carb or, you know, ketogenic or carnivore or even, you know, God forbid, even vegan. Diet. <laughs> I, mean, I do think we just have to get away from from uh, from from this medication, this this sort of belief that people are suffering from some sort of pharmaceutical pharmaceutical deficiency. I mean, that's just, we just don't do that. I mean, it's, there's something wrong and there's a reason for it. And, you know, in, in many cases it's lifestyle. I mean, there's, there's trauma and there's, there's genetic things, but for the most part, it's a lifestyle intervention that, that probably is the most powerful. Um, describe, you know, cause there's a, there's a, there, there is some, uh, a, you know, a little bit of debate within the carnivore community about what is needed to, 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 to live optimally or to, to cure medical conditions. Are you somebody that is consuming, you know, liver once a week or eating only grass finished beef or what is your day to day diet look like? Just, just as a frame of reference for other people that may be interested. I, okay. In the beginning, it was, it was always just me. I, I think I may have eaten some eggs the first week, but suddenly they just weren't very satisfying to me. It wasn't that they started tasting better or anything. It just, it wasn't satisfying. And I was eating steak and bacon pretty consistently. Occasionally, we'd have some fish and pork. Um, and I say we because a month after my first month, my wife began living carnivorously. She's healed arthritis in her shoulders. Uh, and she's got it in her hands, and it's improving greatly. Um, anyway, starting about two and a half months ago, it's crazy how this works. We're in Sam's one day in, at the meat counter, and there's this tube of 90-10 ground beef. And suddenly, that is the most beautiful-looking thing, container in the whole building. And I'm like, you need to buy some of that for me. I need to eat it and see what it's like. And it has been the most satisfying, contentment-bringing food I've ever eaten in my life. And so I've been just eating that ground beef three times a day. I have eight ounces in the morning, eight ounces at lunch, 12 ounces at night, along with six to eight slices of bacon with every meal. And that's it. And I drink water. I don't drink milk. I don't eat cheese. I don't do anything else. And I feel no need to fiddle with it. How do you... Um... A lot of people, you know, outside of, uh, of a carnivorous style diet, you know, to them that, that just sounds completely bizarre. And I get it because I do almost you know, very similar. 
but how do you tell people the fact that don't you miss the chocolate cake and the white chocolate and the pizza? And how do you deal with those cravings or those desires? Uh, what, what, was, what has been your experience with that type of uh, situation? Well, about 10 or 12 days into my carnivorous experience, all the cravings went away. I, I mean, I eliminated, in the beginning, I was still chewing some sugarless gum and had sweet tasting mouthwash. And I did some reading and, and then one night I went through like three packages of gum. I didn't realize it. I was unaware of it. I was reading something and I'm just shoving gum in my mouth and I'm like throwing gum away. And the next thing I know, it's like this half a box is gone. I'm like, holy crap, that sugar cravings in action right there. And uh, so I eliminated all of that. And I haven't had a sweet tasting thing in my mouth since then of any kind. I mean, I use the Listerine style mouthwash. I wear dentures. So if I had real t regular teeth, I would be using um, baking soda to brush them. That's what my wife uses on occasion. Um, I, I, I hope I've answered your question. I, there's probably more to it, and I'm not remembering right off the top of my head. No, I mean, it's, we're just trying to get an assessment of your diet, and it sounds like, you know, you're, you're pretty much, you know. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't miss anything. I really, truly don't. Now, I will see things, and my body will recognize it. Um, I, I, I had to handle with my job that I currently have, I, I give away samples of, of food and stuff in a big box grocery store and just recently I had to break up in half white chocolate Reese cups which used to be one of my favorites and I didn't I didn't want it there was no way I was going to eat any of it it didn't bring back memories but I started salivating and I could feel my body like oh we remember that <laughs> it was it was very interesting to me and there have been times when I've seen other foods that I used to love, and I could feel my my stomach kind of grumbling like it's yelling, no, don't do that. We don't want any of that. No. Hey, Brett, what, uh, what propelled your wife to want to do this? I mean, did you convince her? Did she just see the change in you, or what, was it, what made her make that decision? Well, she started seeing the changes in me with low-carb, high-fat physically, uh, she wasn't obese, but she was getting a little chunky and she had the arthritis in her shoulders and in her hands. But what really frightened her was the notion that she might get Alzheimer's. She was really afraid of that. And she, we watched, I don't remember, we might've been listening to a carnivore cast episode where somebody was talking about it. Might've been a talk by Georgia E. I don't remember, but that was a real fear for her. So she watched me for a month. She's watching all the same stuff I am. I mean, we literally now, <laughs> for months, we watched nothing but YouTube, and it was carnivory videos, research-type kind of stuff, every HPO podcast, uh, talks by Amber O'Hearn. We just immersed ourselves in it because it's suddenly, you know, there's this answer here. We need to understand it if we're going to live it. And especially if I'm going to start sharing my story. Well, um, let me ask you, as someone who has obviously tremendously benefited from a carnivorous style of diet, there are, as you know, a lot of uh, pushes out there by media, by possibly government, 
uh, to sort of have people go more plant-based and eat less meat. And, 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 and there's some thought that we may be taxing it or restricting it. Or what does that do to someone like you whose life has been changed uh, for the better because of the fact that you have access to meat that you can afford? What, how would that impact you? What, 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 do you? what do you have to say to those people that want to take away, potentially, take away your, your capacity or make it more difficult for you to procure the food that seems to be helping you? I think it's incredibly short-sighted. I think it's literally an anti-human policy. I don't think it's going to benefit anyone except people who benefit financially from that kind of thing. Um, it, you know, I, my fear is we're going to start seeing our meat taxed or regulations are going to be created that cause, makes it harder to produce and harvest to bring to market. Those are the things that I fear because those are things I can't control. Now, we're already, should such a circumstance come about, we're trying to prepare ourselves to relocate in the future to where that won't be as big an issue, where you can go to a state where you can hunt your own food and fish for your own food more plentifully than we can in this metropolitan area. Uh, I think it's immoral in the extreme, and it should be criminal. To be honest, I don't, if somebody wants to eat a plant-based diet and they can thrive, God bless them. It's none of my business, but don't start enforcing your ideology on my dinner plate. I, 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 I'm vehemently against that. And uh, there's just no good thing that can come from it. Yeah, I have my concerns. I mean, seeing more and more people like yourself that, that have clearly whether it's mental illness or autoimmune diseases or digestive diseases that seem to be benefiting tremendously from this. And I think if it's made where these people don't have access to that food that, that you know, basically gives them a quality of life, it's, it's going to be very, uh, you know, a lot of pain associated with that. And if, if someone had to say, look, Brent, too bad, go back and you need to eat 60% plants to save the planet. Uh, and too bad if you've got to live with depression and, and suffering. I mean, I, I just, I see that as not the right answer. It's an unacceptable scenario. I mean, there is no situation that, I, if I have to dig up worms to eat some meat, I will do that. I am not going to go back to eating plants except in case of extreme starvation. I have people ask me all the time, do you ever want to add things back? I'm like, it's not worth the risk. I mean, I paid attention to what Michaela Peterson described when she would try adding things back. I've been given a great gift. Why would I want to risk jeopardizing that for some mouth pleasure just to eat something different? It's completely unnecessary. And my quality of life is off the charts now. I mean, there's not been one aspect of my life or my wife's life or our marriage that has not been immensely improved. I mean, immensely improved by eating meat and drinking water. Uh, I have a, a friend of mine, I'll share this with you, a uh, lady, 64 years old, was diagnosed about three or four years ago with primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Her doctor told her she should look forward to spending most of the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Well, I'm on Facebook when I start my journey describing it, and you were asking about how other people reacted. Well, most of my friends just act like, well, there he goes again. You know, it's Brett going off into another thing. But this lady took me seriously, and she's writing me desperate. She's like, could you please tell me more about this? 
and I hooked her up with zeroing in on health and she began living carnivorously about five months ago, I believe, or so, maybe six. And three months into her experience, all her symptoms were gone. All of them. She's walking around, no need for a walker or anything anymore. She told me she stopped falling. I'm like, I didn't even know that was a symptom. Uh, just an amazing transformation. And they would want her to go back to that? If she can't afford to eat meat? Be serious, people. I mean, you want people to suffer mental illness just to satisfy your ideological desire? It doesn't seem ethical on, in any way. So let's keep spreading the word, people. Yeah, Brett, you've said a few things that are I find really interesting. And one of them was is back with like the craving side of things. And, uh, you know, the way I kind of explain it is when I've been like the strictest meat based or animal based product nutrition, what I notice when I truly get hungry, like the craving is just I want way more fat with the meat I'm going to eat versus just maybe a moderate or leaner cut of meat, which is, you know, looks just as appetizing, I think. Uh, when I'm not super hungry, but like you get to the end of the day and you know, you, it's around dinner time and you're really starting to get hungry. You know, I, my mind doesn't go to like, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, a cold glass of Coke would taste great right now. It goes like, I want to dip that fatty cut of meat into you know, more animal fat. <laughs> so like salty, salty fatty meat or something like uh -huh. that. It's like, I think your, your cravings just change. Like you start to crave different things. And I mean, that's not to say like if I would eat a Reese's peanut butter cup or something like that, that all of a sudden I'd start wanting another one. That probably would happen. I think those things are engineered to do that to you. But if you more or less abstain from that, then that's just kind of way the way the paradigm shifts. It changes everything when you stop putting these things into your mouth. And I have people come contact me all the time. How do you, you know, how do you do carnivory? And I told them the same thing. I eat meat, I drink water, and, and that's all I eat. I think a problem a lot of people have when they try carnivory, they want to keep their cheeses. They want to eat a lot of eggs. And when the focus should be on consuming as much meat until society is possible. Uh, and it seems that's where people seem to stumble when they try carnivory is, is they don't want enough meat. They want to, or they want to make cheese to look like every old food they ever had. You know, the meat pizzas and uh, my wife has figured out to make how to make meatloaf with cheese and pork rinds. Well, she loves it. I don't eat it, but it's working great for her. And talk about changing the paradigm. She's a person who never ate breakfast in her life. But about three weeks ago, she started eating her meatloaf for breakfast because it fits her schedule. She doesn't have to cook a lot before she goes to work. Who, knew, who saw that coming? She was also a person who used to be before she was, she's, I love her dearly. She knows it. But when she used to wake up in the morning, she was a hateful witch until she had her first cup of coffee. When she would get up, I would immediately leave the room and come in here in my little music studio because she was just unbearable until she had that first cup of coffee. Two weeks into her carnivory, carnivory journey, she gets up and is talking to me politely and nicely as she's walking down the hall, sits down. We have a nice little 10-minute conversation, and I'm grinning, and she said, what's so funny? And I said, you haven't had your coffee yet, and you're talking to me like a human being. And her, her eyes got really big. It was such a, a beautiful thing. She, she's free of that addiction. 
just by not putting stuff in your mouth, guys. It's not really, it's not a magic pill. It's not voodoo. It's not special sauce. It's just what works. And again, I want to be studied. I want, so, I want to know why these nutritionists and whatnot aren't lined up to draw my blood. Why don't you want to know why this works for me? I want to know. Yeah, Brett, that's a, that is a good point. And I, and I think we're going to, we're getting to the point where we're going to know, because I think we're going to, you know, I'm going to do what I can to make some of those things happen. But, you know, one of the points you made, which I think is very important, and you talked about how being very strict meat, basic water works extremely well for you. And mm -hmm. uh, there are some people that do eat too much cheese and dairy and, and, and so on and so forth. And, but at the same time, you say, my wife does it and works great for her. So I do think there is, we just have to accept that, you know, some people will do fine a certain way. And there's no one size fits all, even in carnivory. Um, you know, certainly if you're still having issues, I think going strict beef and water is a very good thing to try. You know, and I think that's, 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 that's kind of a default setting. And I, you know, and I, in the book, I kind of talk about the different sort of schemes and why people may want to do one thing or the other, but you know, you're sitting there with your, your hundred percent carnivore shirt on. And I love to see that sort of stuff. And obviously you're a very vocal and very positive advocate for this sort of uh, nutritional strategy. Um, are you seeing a lot of negativity towards you? Um, when you go out and about, I don't know if you wear these shirts out, out in public. I do wear, when I go out, I wear mine. I don't care at this point. I'll go to Walmart or, or Costco and I'll have my, carnivore AF or 100% non-vegan t-shirt on. I walk around and no one gives me a hard time. Maybe it's because I'm 6'5 and 245 pounds and I'm a lean muscular guy and nobody wants to mess with me or they're scared of me. But I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the counter and I've got, you know, I've loaded up a cart full of meat and, you know, the, the cashier might say, wow, that's a lot of meat. And, you know, and, I, and you know, or, or the butcher and I'll, and I'll get there and I'll start chatting to them about my diet and, you know, they'll find it interesting. But I have not run into anybody in public that has been like, you know, that's an awful idea. You're killing the planet. You're going to get your colon cancer. I've not heard that. But only, the only place I hear that is, you know, these anonymous people online. But what has been your experience, you know, as somebody who's maybe not as maybe scary as I might be? Are you getting people to give you a hard time? <laughs> yeah, I'm just a skinny little old guy now. Uh, I'm not intimidating at all. Um, I, uh, I was at the gym. I, I, I go to a Planet Fitness not far from here. And regularly and I, I i have a shirt that says 100 not vegan on the front and on the back it says 100 carnivore and i actually i've seen some people look at it and i've seen some expressions but only person that spoke to me is a gentleman who walked the length of the gym i watched him he walked the length of the gym to come over and, and tell me how much he appreciated my t-shirt um <laughs> that's really the only experience that I've had so far with the shirts now in my job and whatnot, I run into people regularly and, you know, you're working in a big box grocery store, food comes up and I, you know, people are constantly like asking me, so what does that taste like? What does the sample taste like? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I don't need that. I don't drink that. And that will open the door to a conversation. Well, what do you do? Well, I've learned that if I show my, one of my before and after pictures, then I can pretty much say anything and they're going to listen and take me seriously. But if I don't show the before and after picture and just say, I only eat animal source foods. Well, then they start looking at me like I, I said something dirty or, or you know, something really bad. 
you're boiling puppies, boy. That's wrong. That's the kind of the expression I get from. Uh, so I haven't run into that yet. I, I really don't go out in public so much because of my work. And, and you know, I, I can't walk into work not wearing my uniform. They might get upset if I walked in with one of these shirts on for duty. But overall, in public, I've not had a problem. And I'm not shy about it either. I mean, I'll tell anybody. I've had vegetarians come up to me. Oh, I don't want that product because we don't eat meat. And I just well, I want to thank you for that because that leaves more meat for me because that's all I eat. And then if they're decent people, a polite conversation begins. And so I get to share the word. Maybe it plants a seed. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I, I, I just think it's important that we live carnivory in a way that suits us best. We all have different skills. You know, I'm, I, I've been a performer talking and speaking in front of people. It's not a problem for me. So that's why I do this, because I believe it's important. We've been given a great gift, a great gift of knowledge, and I think it's imperative that we share it as well as we can with as many as we can. Yeah, I'm into that. I, I agree. I think there's more people that need to find out about this. And I, I've always encouraged people to get out there and, and just tell your story. I mean, the results are what ultimately count and you know you know we were seeing that over and over again do you ever uh i mean at work obviously you, you, if you're working at a grocery store they've got an incentive to sell more than just meat they got a lot of products in there they're selling do they ever tell you hey hey brett tone it down don't tell people about what you eat or anything like have you ever heard anything like that where they they say you can't well, talk I, about that i don't initiate those kinds of conversations to start with so no i haven't i haven't had anybody say a word to me about about that um you know, I, it's through a normal customer engagement and I don't, you know, not everybody wants to hear about it. So it's not appropriate to share it. It's only when the conversation, when the door is open, then I share it. Um, I don't force it on anybody. I'm not a zealot. Uh, it works for me. I see it works for my wife. I see it working for other people. I can intellectually, I know that it's probably not going to work for a hundred percent of people, but I bet for 92 to 95% of people, it's going to do fairly well for them. You're going to have genetic aberrations and, and then geography plays a role because you have indigenous, indigenous people who've lived in this area, you know, in the coast of wherever, and, and this has been their traditional diet all their life. So maybe they're not doing, they're doing carnivory with seafood primarily instead of red meat. And it works for them. Who am I to judge? I, I think it's another trap that we have been really good as a movement, the carnivore movement to avoid is slicing and dicing it up and categorizing it up. I think it were better if we stay unified as a great big, lack of a better word, force of carnivores, successful, happy carnivores sharing our stories because studies can be argued to death. Nobody can argue with my before and after picture. It's the greatest vegan repellent on earth. <laughs> yeah, the results speak for themselves, and I think that's what people ultimately gravitate towards. And I know Sean, Sean talks about that all the time, is like, if, you know, you get, get enough people that have results, that'll be what drives, drives folks, especially nowadays when you can essentially get in touch with anyone you want uh, with the amount of information that's out there. And, and you know, also, as somebody who believes sincerely, I've been given the gift as as a person of faith, I'm responsible to share that gift with others. 
Hey, Ben, let me let me just interrupt real quick, and 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 uh, you know, it, it almost it, it almost sounds like you know, almost like a religious type of thing, you know, where you see that that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I, you know, with the zeal and the and the excitement, I think it's I think it's important if you if you enjoy it, share it, and, and I think that's great. Um, speaking of you know your Catholicism, you know, there's there's a thing on Friday where you can't eat meat on Friday. How do you deal with that as a Catholic, or is that something that you? you it, gotta... it, 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 it's something that gave me a great pause, and what my my wife and I have talked about a lot, and we prayed about it a lot. And since I've given up bread, I gave up my daily bread. I gave up all forms of other food of consumption. And I've ended 40 plus years of mental illness. I don't think the Lord's interested in me putting that at risk. So I've increased my scripture reading and, and tried to pray a little more as we're in this Lenten season. Um, and I'm, really happy with it. I'm confident with it. I don't feel like I, I'm committing error in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, now if I was bragging about it, ooh, I'm not eat, I'm eating meat, I'm breaking the rules, that might be something different. But I, it's a very serious thing for me that, that I don't take lightly. But I don't, believe, I don't believe that the Lord wants me to harm myself, and I'm afraid that's what would happen if I went 24 hours on only just water. Cause that's all I could have. If I take the meat out, there's not going to be anything else added in. And I just don't really think that's necessary. Yeah. I think that that's a, you know, I think for whatever your religious belief is, I don't think there's too many religions out there where the underlying tenet is to harm yourself. I just don't think that makes sense. I think that's a healthy attitude. So Brett, what are your, I, I, I hate to say goals, but I mean, do you have any plans with regard to, I mean, obviously in life, I mean, maybe, maybe continue making music, doing your job, but I mean, do you have any sort of hopes or aspirations around what you've learned or what you might be doing over the next, in the coming future with regard to maybe carnivorous well, cell diet? Ideally, what I would really, really, truly want to do is, is help promote carnivory in any way possible so that other people, I mean, I like helping people. I used to work in the mental health field. Now, I'm way out of date, and with the illness and whatnot, I, there's no way in the world I could remotely go back into that kind of work. But I enjoy helping people, and this has been a wonderful way to do it. I mean, uh, a few, I did my first, shared my story the first time in a podcast on the Carnivore Cast in December, and I was blessed to have all these people getting in touch with me. How do you do carnivory? You know, can you help me? Do you have any advice? And I'm happy to share that. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that there's so much more I don't know. But I know to send people to Zeering in on Health if there's questions I don't have, or to send them to World Carnivore Tribe, or to look up a talk by Amber O'Hearn. She might be having an explanation and talk. These are all useful tools that I use to cover the basis, I really focus on just sharing my story because that's the one thing I'm expert on. <laughs> the rest of it, I'm learning as I go like everybody else. But I, I want to see a day to where carnivory is not considered a fad or something weird, but is a viable alternative for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I do too. And, that, and that's, again, ultimately, I, I, my message has always been, you know, let's find something that works for you and get you off all these medications and fix your illnesses and whatever, whatever strategy it may be, whether it's certain diet or certain exercise or something like that. And so I do think it is a very powerful 
in my view, one of the more powerful options we have out there from what I've seen. I mean, of all the things I've done in, over the years as a physician, this is one of the most powerful tools in general for combating and mitigating disease and, you know, even potentially curing diseases if you want to go as far as to say that. So I think it's a great thing. Um, and I do see it's going to continue to grow. I mean, as you may or may not know, I'm starting up something called animalbasednutrition.com where we're going to be trying to really organize, you know, like we said, a positive team of happy meat eaters that are that are out there to change the world and from all aspects, whether it's political influence or learning about the environment and sustainability and helping improve those things and, and, and also involving the, the producers, the ranchers and all that stuff's coming together. So that's going to be part of it. We're always going to be looking, looking forward to looking for people to help spread that message. So certainly Brett, if you're interested, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be looking for people. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, you, you've got my email address. I am at your beck and call, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you for that offer. And, and, and don't be surprised if I hit you up because we're going to be trying to get this thing off the ground soon. Um, Brett, where can people find you social media wise? How can they get in touch with you? I'm sure you're going to have people that are going to want to ask you questions beyond what we, uh, we covered today. And I, and I think you're just a great advocate and, and hopefully more people hear your story. Well, thank you so much, Sean. It's been a real pleasure to share this with you all. Uh, people can find me at Instagram at thankful.carnivore. You can find me on Twitter at stickmanbleeding. That's S-T-I-C-K. B-L-E-E-D-I-N. Please don't add a G. You won't find me if you do that. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the Zeroing In on Health group or at World Carnivore. I post in both of them regularly. Um, I'll obviously be posting the link once this is, is up for everybody to see. And I share bits and pieces of my experience there on a regular basis. And, and I, I'm happy to answer questions as best I can. Uh, we're setting up a website to where people can ask me, you know, we're going to try to set up where people can talk to me for 20 minutes and, and maybe they'll, they'll charge them 10 bucks, but that's just cause time's not free for everybody all day long. And web, as you well know, web space costs dollars. It's not free. Uh, but I'm not trying to get rich off it. I, I just want to help people. And so if you have any questions, do not hesitate to ask. I'm an open book and I'll do my best. Awesome, Brett. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and we'll be sure to link those uh, social and website handles uh, to the show notes. Appreciate you guys more than I can say that we have time for. Please keep doing what you're doing. Take care of yourselves. Meet heels, people. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.